You know, I'm starting to believe that a watched Circle CI job may never, <laughs> may never finish. I, I have that experience, uh, yeah, like that, that more often a, than I'd like to than, than this, I want to think. This is about Friday it. afternoon. Deploy still waiting for our Circle CI <laughs> job to finish. <laughs> Here we are, another Friday afternoon deploy. I forget what number this is. We've done a done a few now. Uh, so we got Blake back with us today. Hello, hello. Uh, I think he's still doing the JavaScript. Yep. And uh, I'm sorry. How yeah. many token uh, Python developers do I have with me today? Uh, oh sure. man, uh, <laughs> I, uh, at least three. Yeah, yeah, at least. yeah. Hayden, Hayden, would you consider yourself a token Python developer? Uh, <laughs> he's begrudgingly working on some right one now. One of okay. us. One of us. Yeah. I don't think I can even consider myself a token Rails developer anymore. I only did it for about five minutes. So. Mm. Wow. Well, I didn't even know you did it for that long. Yeah. I, uh, I used to know the difference in the um, Ruby data types, but I haven't really touched it in a while. I like Ruby. I just found Rails... Opinionated. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I found Ember opinionated in the same incomprehensible way. They they're kind of kissing cousins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you guys seen uh, Crystal Lang? Oh yeah. No. Yeah, I knew you probably had. It's basically Ruby that is uh, uh, typed and compiled. Typed and compiled, mm-hmm. so it's uh, fast. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Guy work is really enjoying that. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, done a little bit of go. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Same here, just enough to get a taste of it and be a yeah. little dangerous. Yeah. I would like mm-hmm. to do some work with it. I just need something to do with it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've been uh, doing Rust lately. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's so good. Is it? You yeah. like it? I yeah. really, really like it. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I did just a tiny, tiny bit, and it was. Um, we had somebody that had a script that like pulled some social media data and had to use it. But okay. that was about it. Yeah. It's a. I, I like the the syntax. It's you know C like. Oh. It's got the braces, which I'm a fan of. Um, and then it's got uh, it's strongly typed, uh, which is nice. But the the thing that I really enjoyed was um, the error messages are super good, mm. uh, and the um, the package manager is amazing. Yeah, I didn't really mess with that a whole lot. Um, I downloaded the IDE, which I think did all that stuff mm-hmm. for me. I think I still have it on here. Do like, you get like a web framework and ORM and and all that kind of stuff with it too, or like there's there all that? Yeah, pack, it has that stuff. There's yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was one of the things that I really like. I really like Go as well, but one of the things that I did not like about Go was the the package situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just going to people's GitHub it's pages. Like, what right? yeah. compile from master? What? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. What is yeah. this? Like, uh, I guess coming from you know JavaScript and and Ruby and uh, Python, even like yeah, we what, have pip. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like these are really good experiences. Most and of the time, most of the time, right? Yeah, pip it, falls over every great once in a while. I notice in CI. I, yeah, but like otherwise. 
you go to a language that doesn't have something like that, and you, re- I feel like you really feel it. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, for those reasons, though, I've been, I've been digging Rust lately. I've been writing quite a bit of it in my spare time. Right on. Yeah. That's uh, definitely on my to-do list. Is it, uh, is it ready for production, you think, Rust? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, I know uh, Mozilla uses it a lot in uh, Firefox. Oh. Yeah. Well, I dig Firefox. Yeah, it's a very secure browser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been using the DuckDuckGo. Yeah, lately. yeah, me too. I like the uh, little containerized thing it wraps around Facebook for you too. Yeah, so, yeah, that's nice. I've never used it ever. I, <laughs> I it's not it. bad. Yeah, it's kind of like so stuck in Google land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish Google would pay me for all the data they harvest for me. That's yeah, that'd be nice. I'd, yeah. <laughs> I guess they're like, well, I mean, we still let you use Google for free. So I mean, I use Chrome for development stuff and like yeah. Firefox for everything else. Mm. It just, I don't know, it flows better. So yeah. Google knows all about my professional life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they know a lot more than that about me. Yeah. Google has a pretty accurate internal model of me built up, as does <laughs> Facebook. Yeah. I told Alan they have my they have my Westworld code book already. No. Oh, yeah. Laid out, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be one of the hosts. Yeah, You're already right. there. Yeah, they already have an internal model of me that they use. Nice. So what are we talking about today? Uh, we talked about, talked about uh, productivity. The, uh, before we go there, the beard yeah. game is so strong today, Alan. Thank you. I really appreciate it's it. It's the light <laughs> yeah, coming, it's coming so from good. the side of the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, sorry, we're going to talk about productivity. Yeah. Okay. Um and then and and so I figured Sloan, you'd want to talk about some Kubernetes, maybe a little yeah. deeper into it this uh, this time. I'll uh, I'll have to remember what I went over last time. I might end up covering uh, some, some yeah of the same ground, a little, but, little overlap maybe. Right. But uh, I think last time we we approached it pretty high level, and we're even you you were kind of talking about like uh, containers and you know like the basics, super super basics of it. Of like. We kind of got into why would I even want to? What are the problems we're solving? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, I remember saying, you know, like, do I? Uh, I've got my WordPress blog. Do I need to Kubernetes that guy? Mm. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. The answer is yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. you, you need to move yeah. if you have WordPress. You need to move to hosted WordPress right now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Don't maintain your own. Uh, Tyrell sent me a, a link a while back to. Um, Somebody had, I guess, put an IRC chat server on a, a Kubernetes cluster. Mm, yeah. I was like, why? But yeah, why not? I guess. I mean, I read an article about how Chick fil A does edge computing in yeah. stores with local Kubernetes clusters that talk to their cloud Kubernetes clusters, but can be cut off from the internet for hours at a time and still run the store and collect data and do analytics and stuff and then sync that stuff back up with the master cluster when. when Connectivity comes back. That's really that interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, I wonder. I wonder what they use for that. Like, I know AWS has uh, Greengrass, mm. which kind of does that. This article said they were just installing Kubernetes on bare metal, you know, PCs hooked hooked together, I guess, or even a single PC yeah. in, a, in a store. And then, so it's a very small scale. Of right. Course. It's right. only 
I mean, it is, they have microservices that they distribute across the franchises, right? Yeah. But they're all running them on their own hardware that's in the store. So then it gathers that data and stores it locally and, and then pushes phones it home. To the, yeah. Right. And so, so uh, Greengrass on AWS is, is specifically that service of the phone home. Like, oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's like they have a thing that you can download uh, and put on, you know, a Raspberry Pi or something, and then that guy's going to phone home whenever it can. It's not a bad bet. They might be using just that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some derivative thereof. That's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Also crazy is the number of options that AWS gives you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff uh, that they offer that's on my to-do list to, yeah. to right. at least just try out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Blake, have you played with the Lambda, AWS Lambda yet? Um, Casey so, talks about it all the time, and then so does everybody else. I haven't had a chance to actually do anything I, with it yet. So I personally have not messed with it, um, but we do have uh, a couple people internally that have done a lot of it. Um, okay, so my hot take on the the functions as a service thing yeah. is that it's it's kind of it's very uh, fad like and probably right. like overused, um, but it is. I do think it's great for some things. How much of your how much of your stack needs to be you know on demand? Right. right? I mean, quote how, unquote serverless. How far know. is it from treating your servers like cattle instead of pets? You yeah. Know, to get to Lambda from there. Right. Yeah. Um, someone at work has has said that phrase quite a bit. That uh, treat it like cattle, mm-hmm. not like pets, but yeah. like. Look, I like my pets. Right. <laughs> well, the That's so the, the, point. the the lesson is kind of or the context I'm coming from there is is, you know, you deploy your app to a server and you keep the same server for a long time and you keep redeploying your app right. to it. Your code changes, you redeploy in place, you something breaks, you SSHN and cowboy sysadmin, whatever you need to do to fix it, and you start to accumulate all these volatile changes and eventually mm-hmm. something breaks and you can't figure out why and it doesn't match the code and like you're in a mess. Yep. Better to just tear the thing down every time and build it from scratch. It, especially, I mean, if you're using cloud resources anyway, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 1,000% agree with that. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's really what, that's the, the cattle yeah. versus pets thing. I think, um, you know, similarly, when you're writing APIs, making them stateless, uh, it's hmm. the yeah. same thing, like, sure. so that you can do that, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, Whatever you can generate from scratch on demand, that's always good. That's kind of the DevOps ethos, right? Yep. You want to codify everything and be able to build the entire system up from nothing in ideally minutes. And the same, <laughs> and the same every time, predictable yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. results, right? Yeah. Um, so, where have you been doing uh, the Kubernetes stuff? Well, it's for a client, obviously, um, and so uh, up to this point, what we've had is a kind of, uh, you know, very custom bespoke uh, AWS system where you know we have Terraform code that uh, that uh, originally we had Terraform code that allocated resources in AWS, and then we would install dependencies and the code with Ansible scripts on those servers every time the code changed we'd rerun the Ansible scripts and reinstall in place, right? And so this volatile accumulation of volatile changes thing is, is from experience. <laughs> and so the next stage in the evolution was to move to rolling deploys. And instead of deploying a sort of base Ubuntu image with Terraform and then installing stuff on it, um, started building Amazon AW, uh, AMIs with Packer mm-hmm. and then deploying those with Terraform, okay. right? And, so, and then I wrote up a script that the client 
you know, that they can use uh, to just deploy to whatever stack they want, whatever branches of the repositories that they want, right? Um, so that's what we've been using for a very long time now. It has various problems, of course, and, and there's, there's lots of ways that, that that doesn't work well for you. For one thing, you're not deploying. There's, no, there's nothing that uh, keeps you from deploying untested code to anything. Ah, right. There's no automated deployment, really. There's no CI. Yeah. The CI process is completely separate from mm -hmm. that deployment process. Right. Meanwhile, the client also has... Uh, you know, on-premises uh, appliances for certain clients. So they have their cloud stacks, but then they also have stacks that they install on the client's hardware mm -hmm. that, for that client. Right. Those are Docker Compose based. Okay. And so we were already building Docker images for that. Right. But it's a completely separate sort of vertical than our than mm -hmm. our our main uh, production deployment system to the cloud. And so, you know, all of this led me to. Uh, as I as I dug more into the containers world and learned about orchestration and so on, I started to realize. I mean, Kubernetes is very complex. It's hard to explain to someone why you need that if they don't know what a Docker image is, for one thing, or what the yeah. problems are with cloud yeah. systems or whatever. And so, but luckily. That's the other thing about Kubernetes is there's this giant community, so I don't have to go make that sale myself. I just have to Google it. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. I mean, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty easy to go to go find the reasons for this. But you know, you're you're moving to a higher level of abstraction, totally, um, and yeah. and that gives you great power to codify and automate things. Yep. Essentially, is is what it's for, right? Yep. Um, from where from where I'm sitting, and so. What Kubernetes is going to allow me to do is have, you know, uh, eventually, of course, hopefully a fairly exhaustive CI system. You know, we have some now. We have some, you know, unit tests and integration tests and various kinds of tests. Uh, you want to you want to get as much automated QA as you can, yep. and you and you can you can build that for as long as you want to. There's yep. always going to be more. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, but making sure that you know you have a you have a paper trail of you know, I push some code to the repo. It set off this automated process. Here are the results of all of those. And if everything's green, then we can be confident that we can deploy this thing and be comfortable with it. In fact, we're so confident that we're going to automate the deployment right. to a blue-green deployment system. Okay. Right? If you know, you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. right? And so, so basically, when code gets merged to master, you have an automated deployment to either a blue or green stack that is the production stack, uses production database and resources, um, but isn't actually connected to the website at right. DNS yet, yeah. right? And so once everybody's happy, once all the tests have run, you've done whatever you want to, you go flip DNS. Yep. And then if you figure out something's wrong, then you can just flip back to the older stack because you always have yep. two running at the same time. Mm. In Kubernetes, the stacks themselves are expendable. You don't care about that web server or that 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 celery worker or that you know or any of that stuff. Um, we're you know we're not going to run we're not running production databases in Kubernetes. We're still keeping those in RDS. Okay. You know, and then we still have S three resources mm -hmm. too. So um, so the data lives separate, and the application itself is truly stateless. Mm -hmm. You know, even mm -hmm. in that case. Yeah. Now for testing. We don't want to always have to test against RDS. We want to also have to be able to run a test stack that spins up its own, you know, database, its own Postgres instance, and and just sort of starts with a blank database for testing or whatever. Um, that way, that way you haven't decided beforehand how many stacks you're going to have. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't necessarily have 
production and staging and you know test stacks you have is potentially as many stacks as you want you just you can i flirted with the idea of automatically deploying a stack for every single branch um i'm actually building docker images for every commit um and pushing those mm. and then have the i have the docker uh, repo set up to Right now, I have it set up to automatically delete images that are over six months old because mm-hmm. development doesn't sit still for very long, and, yeah. and that's going to be fine. Might have to revisit that. Um, but the stack, so I flirted with the idea of deploying, of automatically deploying a stack for each branch. Uh, the developers tend to want to be able to deploy kind of on demand, and so right. I can take the same process and do it sort of outside of the CI process. Um, I still have to build a kind of custom image to do that, and so it still takes a little bit of time, especially because we're running Python and we're using SciPy, and so like it takes forever to build up all okay. of the dependencies. You can cache that stuff, saves you a little bit of time. But um, So I have a few questions yep. based, on, based on that. Um, the, the first being... Uh, well, I'll ask the I'll ask one, uh, and then I'll open the can of worms after that. Uh, so uh, the first one being um, when you're uh, developing locally on something that it's going to end up in Kubernetes, uh, how are you how are you going about doing that? Um, if, so there's a few layers to that for me anyway. These days, I'm doing a lot more DevOps than application deployment uh, development. Oh, okay, and so uh, f- this is a project that uses Django and also uses React. Mm-hmm. And so there's sort of two, uh, and the code all that code all lives in the same repo. But you know, there's kind of two steps to the build process right. to yep. do that. And so, to some extent, you just test locally like you always would, mm-hmm. without even involving Docker at all, right? Oh, okay. But but are you developing with a, with Docker like Docker containers running or? I'm running uh, the dependencies. Uh, Postgres and Redis and stuff like that. Like, with Compose? Contain- in, well, just in Docker containers. Kind okay. Of but you can use Compose for that, yeah. too. I mean, it, it's 6.1 after this. So we found... Uh, I, I, yeah, I run my whole local dev environment in yeah. Docker using Docker Compose. Okay. So, I don't... Uh, the, the only reason I don't life. is just laziness. I, I'm about you? to change your life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Are you going to update my... Uh, so I've got a super gnarly uh, uh, shell script well, right now that, the, that I, coordinates the whole thing. Let, let's get rid of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... so uh, but we, we love our pet shell scripts, yeah. don't we? <laughs> yeah, cattle, I made cattle. it myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we ha- we ran into this problem um, where when we were running things locally, uh, we were using Compose. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were deploying, uh, we were using uh, Kubernetes. We were deploying right. Kubernetes oh, and, we, and, we're, and we said, yeah. why don't we just develop a Kubernetes locally? And, sure. and the answer you was... You guys use a Minikube? Uh, no. Okay. And mm-hmm. the answer was, it's a pain in the ass. It is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's however, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. However, <laughs> there is this tool called Scaffold. Okay. Uh, it's developed by Google. Mm, okay. uh, and it will basically, uh, it's a YAML config that sits on top of Kubernetes, uh, and it will let you uh, basically deploy your Kubernetes cust- uh, your tuber- Kubernetes pods or whatever to um, your locally running Docker instance, right? Right, uh, right. And, your Docker machine, yeah. Yeah, and it'll handle all of that. It will orchestrate all of that, and then... You can set it to watch your code, so that when mm-hmm. it when you update the code, oh. it restarts everything. Wow. It it uh, restands up another a new pod, and you never have to like touch anything. It's it's incredible. Uh, that's interesting. I want to try this out. So so it's yeah. it's building. I guess it's building while you're 
Changing and saving. Yeah. How how quick is that? I wonder. Uh, I also need an example of seconds. I mean, you can set stuff like that up with just a you know, for instance, JavaScript. You know, there's a lot of JavaScript uh, libraries that 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 will watch mm-hmm. your code directories yeah. for yeah, you yeah. like that, and you can you can sort of make that stuff transparent to your Docker setup and yeah. just kind of go right through. Um, you know. Those you don't need those things. You don't need or want those things in production, of course. But for local right. development, it makes it yeah, makes for, it yeah, for sure. Like you still the have the guys to have a that watch. do most of the app development at this point um, are mostly internal to the client, and so yeah. they 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 have they have their own setups for that. Okay. And they're doing they're doing probably almost exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, from from seeing what they've been doing, I. I don't end up doing a lot of app development these days, mm-hmm. and if I do any JavaScript, it's just tweaking a file here and there, so I can just go run the yarn build and yeah, just right. redo it and not have to worry about it. I'm usually just making it jive with the with the web app mm-hmm. for something that I had to change for some DevOps reason, you know. And so, mostly, I spend a lot of time waiting for Circle CI jobs to finish. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah. And seeing why they failed and and debugging all that, right? It's almost like we we've kind of come full circle back to the days when you had to wait for your code it's to so compile. Weird. It's so know? weird too, like even your JavaScript. CI, <laughs> especially your JavaScript. CI is a funny way to do computing. Like it's just it's yeah. kind of a different paradigm, yeah. uh, in a sense. And it's it is it is almost like the punch card days in the sense that you want to make sure everything's gonna work before you sit around and wait for it to fail. Yeah, yeah right. Eventually, yeah. you have to just run it too. Yeah, right. Yep. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes you end up on the opposite end of that, and it's just as easy to make a change and push it and see whether it works in CI than it is, you know, just as easy to do that than it is to set up and try to test it locally. So to answer your question, sometimes I'm running an uh, running an app with just kind of very low level, you know. Django run server commands or yeah, whatever right. locally. Sometimes I'm building Docker images locally to mm-hmm. see whether some change works and then running Docker compose tests against that. Yep. Um, or sometimes I'm, you know, uh, if I'm deploying Kubernetes, Kubernetes has to pull, the way I've got it set up anyway, has to pull from the Docker, re- from our private Docker repo. Mm-hmm. And so I can't build that image. I don't usually build the image locally. I just let it build in CI yeah. and just let the yeah, process right. run. Yeah. But then I can deploy to Kubernetes by hand, of course, mm-hmm. very quickly by just running a kubectl sure. command. Yeah. Um, and so the uh, as part of CI, I have a bunch of um, what I'm calling integration tests, which basically tests a full stack that makes sure the whole stack works, the web app and the workers and everything, and, mm-hmm. and that it can do what it's supposed to do at some level. Right. And I can run those tests locally. I can run them uh, with a Docker com- with various flavors of Docker Compose stacks that are testing different things. And then I can run that same script in Kubernetes mm-hmm. against the stack that I've deployed. Right. And so the CI process does all of those things in a series. And then once it's happy... Ideally, and we haven't actually migrated into the production stacks into the system yet, but the, the goal here is to run that into full continuous deployment, um, blue-green, continuous blue-green deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, one issue we run into uh, that you immediately run into if you've got more than one stack hitting the same database is destructive migrations, destu- destructive database migrations. Yeah. Essentially, you sort of want to ask people to never delete anything. Yeah. Right? You just want to add fields. Yeah, right. If you need to delete something, then you have to go through like a three-stage process to make sure you don't break production yeah, <laughs> while right. you're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's 
that's kind of a little bit of a drawback in that we're used to having this monolithic stack where you just sort of, where it's always one way, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't have to worry about those things. And so there's going to be a little bit of developer retraining to, to, to deal with that. Though, you know, how often do you really have to delete a database field in a, well, I mean, I guess it depends on the project, of course, but, yeah. but that's a, I don't know that there's a good solution to that problem. To, right? you, know. well, <laughs> yeah. you can just accumulate all the old fields you want. I, <laughs> yeah. guess, I mean, it depends. It depends very much on the project, but that's a that's just an issue with blue green deployment. If you're going to have two stacks hit in the same database, then you have to make sure the schemas are always sort of compatible. Yeah, yeah they got to right. be in parity. Yeah. Right. Uh, so another thing that I, that I heard you mention there um, was the Postgres. Um, mm. yeah. Is that like the default that you guys reach for? With Django projects, it has been. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, Why is that? Where's Casey when we need him? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I guess, really in a nutshell, you know, it's it's the most. I, <laughs> I would say without maybe trying, I'm trying not to get too opinionated with the, uh, but you know, it's it's probably the best, most fully featured, um, relational database that's open source, right? Okay. So that's. That's kind of it has great potential for all kinds of things. Yeah, not that I use most of that potential. Not I, that much. I hear I'm not a Postgres expert by any means. Um, uh, yeah, I, RDS has abstracted so much of that away from right. us. Oh. RDS is so useful. Like it just, I mean, because it. So it, you know, I mean, it's doing like I guess master how much stuff in the background. How much like, DBA do you want to do? I guess yeah. right. I mean, or this or, much? Yeah, zero. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and or do you want SQL? Do you still want SQL? You yeah, know, right. and I yeah. mean, I we we do still want SQL. We still want Django. You know, the yeah. things that we're doing. You know, there's a lot of data stuff that happens in this app, but not all of it happens in the Postgres database. And the stuff that does happen in the Postgres database, Postgres is perfect for mm. for, for that project. It might not be elsewhere. Yeah, right? I just I, I, I kind of find that like different communities reach for different database solutions, and I find it really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what's yeah. what would Postgres as opposed to what like what makes you ask well, the question? In the JavaScript world, what do you reach for, Blake? It depends. It's not Mongo. <laughs> it's not MongoDB, is it? Uh, I I do like. Mongo. Do you like Mongo? I, I I haven't used it. I haven't used it very much. I yeah. ask because I have used Elasticsearch a lot. Right. Right. And right. to me, a la- Mongo feels like Elasticsearch without all of the mm. full text search stuff. That. Right. Yeah. I, um, I agree. It's just uh, the well for, for JavaScript, a lot of the the API to actually interact with with Mongo is just super nice. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 that's not to say it, it it's not it's the same actually. And you get an ORM type thing too, right? You do, uh, yeah, yeah right. you do. Mongoose is really good. Gotcha, um, yeah. I, I have I I've, I hang my head in shame, but I have played around with that Express and Mongoose. I mean, it, it's it's nice. Um, yeah. And I've used the other like NoSQL alternatives, like yeah. Cassandra. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, Cassandra <laughs> and I did Couchbase. use Cassandra. Though. I feel like Cassandra to be surprisingly hard to. Deal with. I, I guess you gotta. You kind of gotta embrace it. Right? It's a pain in the ass, yeah. right? Yeah, you gotta embrace their <laughs> way of doing things. Yeah. Um, have you uh, have you used Elasticsearch? Any? I don't. No, I don't have a lot of experience with that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's. I haven't done much in in a couple of years. I I spent a lot of time with it a few years ago. Yeah, Hayden and I were dealing with it uh, last year. I guess with uh, with with a project. Sorry, I caught caught Hayden off guard. I guess <laughs> uh, Elasticsearch, right? Um, 
so yeah, so we were we were using it on uh, a project that was um, like doing text extraction, mm-hmm. and then you know making that searchable. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very much like that, but kind of I still like to have Postgres underneath it. Yeah, so right. That, that's actually the persistence layer, and then I think of it like a search layer yeah. on top yeah. of that that I can I run mean, queries. You against. can use it as a primary data store. That's not really what it's made for. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, and if you overload it, uh, at least last I checked, if you overload it, it will sometimes drop data. Okay. It's not meant to be your single source of truth. Mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's and meant it, for logs and stuff like that. Okay. Right? Throw, yeah. Throw a bunch of text at it and right, then yeah. make it searchable. Right. Yeah. yeah right. It's really great at that. It's it's surprisingly fast. Um, I mean, you can tune it, in in lots of ways, sort of like Cassandra. You can tune it to do to do a lot of different things and and depending on what you want if you get real technical about it you can you can make it do very precise things okay you know from where from where we're standing most of the time it's it's use is 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 for searching things yeah. Right? right yeah and and AWS they have that service that we've kind of used yeah. most recently cuz we on a different project from that one I remember we had uh, we'd stood up our own elastic search on a machine in the cloud, and that was not fun. Yeah, to try heard, and maintain. I, I've actually heard that that's not very fun. No, yeah. it's a it's a beast built in Java. That's yeah. for sure. And yeah. it is resource intensive. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So, and then the sharding and all that and everything. That's so. Yeah, yeah AWS can take a lot of that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, out yeah. of your hands. Which yeah, is for nice. sure. The the time I spent with Elasticsearch was really useful for me in terms of starting to think about how clustering works mm-hmm. and how you put data on a cluster mm-hmm. when you don't necessarily trust all of your nodes right. in your cluster. And yeah, you want right. to be prepared for one of them failing. And yep. why why we even care about clustering, why that matters. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is all very integral to what Kubernetes does and yeah. why it matters. You, right. yeah. you know, especially if you're gonna have a big cluster, you're something's gonna fail at right. some point. And so you right. need to have, you know, redundancy and and, and stuff in place for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's the first thing that I thought was really cool about uh, my first uh, Kubernetes cluster, um, saying that it was the text extraction uh, yeah. that we were doing. And so we had, I forget how many microservices we had. It's a handful. It, it was. Five or six, maybe. A yeah. couple in Go. Um, nice. And so it was really nice to be I'm able to... I'm kind of jealous. Yeah. It was, it was nice to be able to throw them at it and then... You know, let it fall over and it would come back up. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think <laughs> right. RabbitMQ or something kept falling over, mm. and uh, but it would just come back up so fast that we were like, oh, well, you know, that's all right for right, now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you something I haven't found yet, and I'm sure it's out there, but I haven't found it, and that is a full history of logs when that happens. So, like, it's easy enough to go look at the logs in a running container, mm-hmm. but what if that container is the fourth generation and the three previous ones failed mm-hmm. for some reason? Yeah, you don't, you don't, just by looking at the logs, you don't get that older stuff. And I so guess you I need to come up them. with a way. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's right. a way to solve this problem, but that's one of the things I'm going to have to do pretty soon is yeah. keep a paper trail of of failed containers right right yeah and sometimes those failures are expected right i mean if the container's waiting on postgres to load or or whatever mm. sometimes sometimes it's okay for a failure or two to happen but you need to you need to be able to go trace through that stuff on demand when you want it yeah and i've been trying to figure out how to integrate that into my monitoring system so right, that i can right. go 
you know, I can sometimes see failures in CI and, and trace through the output and see what to do. And then I hit this roadblock of, well, I see that the containers, you know, this one's working now, but there was this failure that happened earlier, and there's this kind of series of things that happened to get me to this point. How can I trace all the way through that? Yeah, and the I guess the the difficult part really there is is you know because everything, all the different services reporting their logs, you you know capturing those. Because I was thinking with like and Django, you, you could just do the logger and yeah. put that in Logstash or something, and then. Search through, but I mean, if you've got three replicas running and and you're looking for mm. the result of some request or whatever, you know, mm, that yeah, I do have a sort of default. And so, again, one of the nice things about Kubernetes is this gigantic community. It's a this huge open source project, and there's all of these sort of ancillary projects connected to it. Prometheus mm. is the second uh, open source project adopted by the what's it called, the cloud native something. Cloud Native Foundation, Foundation something I forget exactly. Yeah. Um, Google gave gave Kubernetes to them um, at one point, and their second project is Prometheus, which is a uh, it. If you're familiar with Logstash, it's sort of the opposite of Logstash. Logstash pushes your logs to the database. Prometheus instead comes and asks for them. And so it's a it's a pool data store mm. in a sense that you give it you give it a whole bunch of endpoints for things that you want it to measure, and it will periodically pull those endpoints and collect the results, and then you can display them in Grafana or whatever. Right. And there's yeah. this whole set of um, you know kind of quasi standardized ways of doing these things, and so. Rather, instead of having to go through each of these tools myself and figure out all the details and set all that up and spend the weeks that it would take to figure all that out, there's an open source project out there mm. that lets me generate config for all these things and gives me, you know, Kubernetes specs that I can just immediately deploy. Mm. Um, I even got to learn this weird little language called JSONet, oh. which is a Turing complete JSON-based language, which. I, I, okay. I, yeah, that's what I thought. But, yeah, but it really exists and it really works and it's nice for generating config. I'd, Java. Uh, I, yeah. Let's just. <laughs> I soak that in for a second. I know. Yeah. Like I. I don't. I, it's JavaScript object-oriented notation or whatever. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Turing. Yeah. There it is. That's the yeah. one. Wow. It's yeah. pretty wild. I mean, I only had to spend about five minutes to learn how to use it well enough to compile the config that I got from this GitHub project that had all of the pieces that I needed mm. to to set up a very decent mon Kubernetes monitoring system in basically a day. Yeah, it's not I mean, bad. Uh, no. not that I fully understand all of what it's doing or anything, but I can go click through it. That combined with the Kubernetes dashboard yeah. gets you pretty far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kubernetes dashboard is pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, I liked it because it was like immediately then you could the light bulb goes off where you're like, oh wow, this yeah. is what's happening. Yeah, now you know it's a real thing. I mean, it, it gives you a UI for all those cube control commands. You're yeah, gonna be yeah, exactly. To try to trace stuff down. That's all it. That. Yeah, what's that called? Um, Kubernetes uh, dashboard. Kubernetes dashboard. It it's, used to it used to like come in it by default, but I think you may have to install it now. Well, so it's one of those things that you can set it up permanently behind a bunch of firewalls and stuff if you want to. Uh -huh. But what ends up being a lot easier is to just uh, you run a command called uh, kube control proxy, 
and then it gives you a local uh, mm. URL okay. that you can hit that gives you your dashboard. Cool. That's cool. And so yeah. you all you need is your cube config file, and then it just oh, connects nice. for you. That's awesome. But you're not leaving this out on the internet for people to go right. mess with, right? Yeah. I don't use it to actually do anything. I just use it to look at things. Yeah. You can deploy stuff with it and so on. Yeah. I like to do that you know, from yeah. the command line. But. Yeah, I do too. Um, one That's thing nice. that is kind of nice too, it gives you um, like a, it gives you a shell. Like you click a button, you got a shell, and you yeah. can jump into you a. Can see logs. Oh, stuff nice. Too. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Execute something or yeah, see okay. logs there. That's cool. All that, yeah. Uh, that is that is really cool. Um, so earlier you you mentioned Prometheus. Um, yep. What have what have you guys been using for like uh, tracing requests? Well, not as much as we should. Um, in uh, in in the sort of conventional deployment stack that we have, we just have web logs that are that are still there, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the server and kind of go look for it. We we have in the past had an Elk stack mm-hmm. set okay. up yep. um, for for all that. It didn't really get much use, mm-hmm. to be honest. Okay. Um, it's not for that particular project. It just doesn't turn out to be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I. It's it, in in kind of in the modern software development world, you sort of expect to have something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've I definitely I know how to put it together, and it makes a lot of sense, and it'll fit into Kubernetes just fine. But there's just not really been a big demand for it mm-hmm. I, from from the client, and it, we we haven't needed it to to track down problems enough to to bother setting that up. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think what I'll end up doing eventually is integrating a all the logs into the Prometheus setup mm-hmm. and teaching all of the, you know, engineers at the at the client to how to use that and, and how to how to track things down. Um, I think it's just the idi- idiosyncrasies of that project. It just hasn't come up. Okay. But, have you have you ever seen or played with Jaeger? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, and Alan, do you have any answer to his question about that? I mean you guys have done you guys have done some some log management, um, right? Uh yeah, and ours was was pretty manual. Um, at that time, we didn't really get into Prometheus yeah. or anything like that. Um, have you you have have y'all used an an Elk stack for for web logs and um, web app logs and nginx logs and all that stuff? I I haven't, uh, but I've read about it, and uh, yeah. Have um, you seen one of those set up? At, like, yeah, I have. Um, yeah, so in my previous experience doing that, um, we didn't use uh, Elasticsearch yeah. um, or Logstash. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what was the ML, so it man? Wasn't <laughs> yeah, but, but still no, a, a but log we, but management we search system. On, yeah, okay. Sitting on top yeah. of mm. yeah, whatever. And honestly, mm. at this point, I, I would be... I would be... Uh, Open to being wooed by some hosted service that was going to do that for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So, uh, so Jaeger, what it will what it will do is if you instrument your uh, requests, like in the case of an API, uh, the, your request code, um, you can basically it'll basically keep track of those statistics and similar to Prometheus, mm-hmm. uh, expose them, and um, you can basically watch a request and drill down into the different functions that get called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's and the it, it's pretty it's pretty nice. And of course, we have developer tools to do that, you know, locally and so oh, on. Oh, right. We just yeah, don't, you just don't just have the, don't the have it in place to do yeah. it for 
which which is is probably a hole in the setup. You know, I mean, it's it's which things bubble to the top of the list first. Oh, yeah, you know? mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, um, for sure. And and you know, honestly, like just even setting some of that up uh, in right. a production environment is sort of a pain in the ass. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because doing it locally is one thing. Like there, you know, like uh, in the case of Jaeger, it's got like this all-in-one image that you're pulling, and it's like. Oh yeah, you want to set this up in production? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope you have a few days of downtime planned. Yeah, right. Already. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like as complicated as your own app, right? Yeah. To get yeah, the yeah, database yeah, yeah. set up, and, and you like, end up chasing all these errors that are just ancillary to your whole need. And right. You just yeah. how much is it worth? Uh, yeah, right. You know, like you said, a managed service for that. One. Right. Right. Yep, kind of yeah. like a, yeah. RDS. You know, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. that's that's why I love RDS because I just yeah. I don't have to think about that. Yeah. You know. Uh, again, even Circle CI, it went down today. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, we've been using it for a long time. It's been pretty reliable. Mostly, they've been rolling out some changes lately. <laughs> I, I feel for them. I mean, I, I know what it. I know what it probably feels like over there. Uh, oh yeah. But if I now, it looks like if good. I can't if I can't use that tool, you know that that tool is pretty central to what I spend my time doing most of the time. And so, you know, it makes you think about. Is it worth moving out of something like CircleCI into something like Jenkins mm-hmm. and and just hosting all that stuff yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You spin up your own Kubernetes cluster in AWS, you know, why not have it watching your GitHub or Bitbucket repository and, and responding to it? And right. why not set all that stuff up yourself? Um, well, you know, for this project, at least the answer is we already have CircleCI working and it's great and it's fine. And, and yeah. you know, most of the time, it's just not a problem. But how much do I want my production deployment system to rely on their production system working? Yeah. You know, do mm-hmm. I wanna do I wanna pull that back down? Well if I had a team of five engineers working with me, then yeah, let's go let's go sort out our own. Mm-hmm. If it's just me yeah, it's it's hard not to stick with the hosted provider. Well, and I think yeah. that I think in the majority of cases that's one of those problems that people are happy to just let someone else handle. To mm-hmm. be to be honest, um, like even uh, like Jenkins or whatever, right? Yeah, um, Travis. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Uh, so I, I do prefer Circle over Jenkins by a pretty large margin. I haven't actually <laughs> used Jenkins ever. I just yeah. you know I hear Again, I hear stories. I, yeah. yeah, the Windows ninety five UI, and, right? dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I, okay, so this is kind of a, a tangent, but um, one of the things that came up this past week, I think it was this past week in the news, was uh, F5 like purchasing Nginx. Mm-hmm. You guys heard about this? Mm-hmm. I, I missed that. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. So someone actually purchased Nginx okay. uh, and will now no, be... No. Uh, apparently was Nginx, Nginx a startup? No, it was, an op- it was open source. Like, but, but they had like enterprise, they had, right? They had enterprise yeah. backers or, yeah. or like a foundation or whatever. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I, I remember there was the enterprise version to download yeah. or whatever, and then the yeah. open source. Now, one. see, that's one of those things I've always just trusted that I don't have to think too much about because it's going to work. Yeah, are you telling me I have to think about Nginx? Now? Might have to now. Uh, yeah. So they apparently Nginx is going to stay the way that it is. Okay. Uh, but I th- I thought that it was interesting. Um, that that was even something that could happen. Right. I don't know. So yeah, because I mean it's everywhere. I mean it's pretty important now these that, days. Yeah, 
Like, I mean, I, I guess, a, I don't know. I don't is, know. It, yeah. is it more important than Apache now? That's, that's I, what I, I was wondering. I don't yeah. know the answer to that question. I, yeah, I don't either. I, I think, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> One would hope so, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you guys typically use Nginx yeah. or Apache? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, in well, Kubernetes, there's an Nginx Ingress. You can install it and forget about it mm. um, and have one yeah. load balancer that, that services everything. Mm. If that's what you want, I mean, you can have a load balancer per stack if you want. And with my initial kind of, uh, you know, um, flopping around and trying to figure out what I was doing in Kubernetes, I, I did that at first and yeah. then realized that I didn't need to and it was easier and simpler to just use a single Nginx Ingress yeah. um, and and hook up all the DNS through that. And okay. so far it's worked just fine. Mm. So we've got like a, yeah, kind of a... We, We've got a load balancer sitting in front of uh, basically like reverse proxies to yeah. mm. a node server, yeah. um, and the Nginx instance also serves up static assets. Yeah, um, right, right. So. I looked at running my own Nginx instance uh, in its own, both isolated in its own container and also co-containered with the web app, and couldn't find any way. Well, okay. Unless you're serving static assets with Nginx, in that case, you probably want to pair it with your web app yep. or have it running, you know, in each stack. Yep. But if you're not, then it yeah, it's, sure. it's just fine to have a single one. And sense. honestly, you know, this is a, a machine learning as a service uh, site. It's not getting huge traffic. Mm. Um, so and. One issue that I just ran into is that, of course, the JavaScript assets are uh, are being built, you know, um, as part of the image build process, and each compiled JavaScript artifact has its own ID, and so these are right. all unique, right? Yep. So I don't have to worry about those stepping on each other if I'm using the same uh, static file, uh, you know, source for different stacks mm -hmm. but i might have to worry about some of the static assets being overwritten and stepping on mm -hmm. each other like if right. your branch if your branch changes some image you know you don't want to be deploying those images to right. the same folder for both stacks they yep. need to be separate yep. so you almost need your web app to serve its own static resources right. and so uh you know at the moment i had taken nginx out and put it in the in the ingress you know i'm i'm wondering if it's worth Adding a little more complexity in there to have another instance of Nginx serving static assets. Of course, I can't mm -hmm. can't necessarily go connect the static assets for every single stack to this one uh, Nginx Ingress that mm -hmm. I've got for yeah, a cluster, yeah. Yeah. right? But I could have individual instances of Nginx also running in each stack that serve up images, and I'm really figured out whether it's worth bothering to do that or not yet. I mean, UWSGI will serve static images. Yeah, it general, will. But um, You know, Nginx may do it more efficiently. Uh, yeah, you know, I would think. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess that, that would also be a question of how much actual web traffic, you know, your right. app's getting, right. or whether I mean, it's I, just doing background jobs. Nginx is the, the kind of, you know, cutting edge of, of all that and will handle as much as you throw at it, yeah, supposedly. See, yeah. Um, you know, do you need it or not? And it's not like it's hard to maintain. Once you get it set up, it just lives there and it's yeah. fine. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, 
did uh, did we man, did wow. we, we as we sit quietly and ponder ponder the future of ex- DevOps expired. Did we flow past oh. any of your other questions? You you said you had some. Uh, I think it was mostly those two. Um, I was gonna say what. So what are you using to uh, stand up the infrastructure? Cops. Uh, well, Terraform and AWS. Gotcha. Um, and so, right. well, Cops. So, uh, you familiar with Cops? So, nope. Cops is the cube control for a- for AWS essentially oh, okay. uh, yeah. for clusters. Most they call what, it the cube control for clusters. And most of what we do is Azure. So, oh yeah, I'm sorry. A, a lot of what I do is Azure. You know, it, it could be worse. It could it could be GCP. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have not yet had that pleasure. I no, used I actually used Google <laughs> App Engine back in the day uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that <laughs> I, I should do a whole podcast about that project someday. <laughs> I don't. know. It's probably long enough past that I won't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> but without getting into that, yeah. Um, so I use Cops is a tool that will allocate Kubernetes clusters for you, given a pretty simple, you know, API command line interface. You just you give it a few variables, and then it allocates a cluster for you. Oh yeah, gotcha. but one of the things that it will also do is spit out Terraform code, mm. and so you can tell it to set up the cluster you want. You can have it spit out the Terraform code, and then you can run that Terraform code yourself, and you can check it into your DevOps repo so right. that so, yeah. so that you have you know all that. So that makes sense, and it. that's yeah. That's how I set these clusters up, and then I went after the fact and created another Terraform file with all my RDS databases and infrastructure, and then applied that. And then you just run Terraform apply again, and and you have all your stuff. Mm. Um, it if you're familiar with Terraform, it's pretty easy to read the Terraform that Cop spits out, uh, and it's a lot easier than trying to build it all yourself. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So you get you get kind of the benefit of both worlds there. Um, now, I mean, you could go all the way to the managed end and and ha- and use uh, oh, what's Amazon's uh, uh, Kubernetes uh, service called? EKS, Elastic Container Kubernetes, Kubernetes Service. service? <laughs> I don't I think, know what. Yeah, I mean, they'll can, give you yeah. full managed Kubernetes. I didn't want to go that far. Um, I don't know. I I don't know that I have a real good reason for not doing that. Well, just that I, I think we I think it makes sense to have some control over the yeah. process of how your infrastructure is built and worked yourself. I probably should go try it out and compare it and see how much how much difference there is. There might it might be worth using that instead. I mean I think most of my most of my DevOps code is still gonna work fine. I just don't have to allocate the cluster. And so on. It's probably six of one, half a dozen of the other. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, while we were doing that project in in Kubernetes, um, I remember like it was I think still in beta. So I looked at uh, EKS. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't use it. Um, but also, I think it would be you know maybe that would be an easier decision too, as as one understands Kubernetes. Better, right? You know, it's it's uh, I guess what it's been around five years now or something, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Which under very active development and you know moving quickly, I, yeah. it's not going away. Uh, no. When I first started looking into you know rebuilding the the DevOps process um, in the container orchestration world, I initially thought that using Docker itself might be enough, just Docker Swarm. 
Um, in, instead of engaging the, the full <laughs> the full complexity of Kubernetes, you know, uh, and of course when you dive into Kubernetes, you got to learn a whole different syntax. Yep. Still YAML or JSON or whatever you want, but it's it's a whole different syntax than Docker. It's different. And and so I was initially attracted to the idea of of Docker Swarm. As time goes on, I I, I my sense is that the world has already accepted kubernetes it's it's here like to stay I feel like that's that's, that's the, the that's the standard i think docker swarm is going to atrophy over time i, I, yeah, I, yeah, I just totally. i don't think it's going to get the support i made i made my decision like so we we i did the same thing started with i did the exact same thing i think we all do i think it's a because, rite of passage docker, that makes that makes me feel more confident no, about my docker decision docker is nice and it's like yeah. why not keep using this thing that i've already learned right yeah. the other thing's yeah, fancy yeah. i'm sure yeah. it's great yeah. but i i just i'm not and doing it's anything Fancy learning curve too. Like you got to yeah. learn. You got to learn a bunch of things. Uh, even if you're a seasoned developer, you got to learn a lot to learn it, Kubernetes. It's it's worth doing. And all you developers out there listening yeah. to this should go learn Kubernetes. But I, it's, it's, it's you not know because you you trivial. learn you learn uh, Docker Compose and you learn that YAML configuration. Yep. And what you know to be able to translate it. I mean Compose helps a little bit. Compose with a K will translate yeah, that right. across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Though <laughs> the output that you get is not always what you want. No, it, uh, mine didn't work right away. Automated code to, generation. Like yeah. your your boilerplate better really be boilerplate. Yeah. You know? But um and you really have to understand though the concepts to be able to essentially learn a new language for like objects you already know and are interacting with. You know, you have to understand mm-hmm. it even better to make that uh, leap. What is a pod again? Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, yeah. Uh, why are we talking what about do pods I do with instead it? of containers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. Like, I feel like that's the main barrier is that the you mentioned earlier, Slon, the uh, the abstraction. You're going up a level mm-hmm. and like. Yeah. Sometimes that's pretty difficult. I feel right. like mm-hmm. uh, right. you, you you're kind of comfortable with your current level of abstraction, but yeah. uh, sometimes... well, damn! I, there, here's another thing I have to go learn about. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, but that's that's the occupational hazard here, right? Oh, I mean, sure. if you're going to stay relevant, you got to do that. We're perpetual yeah. students, yeah, yeah and, for and sure. you better be okay with that these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah, no, but I think like definitely that's why probably most people or a high number or high percentage of people probably also try the Docker Swarm thing, right? Mm-hmm. Just because like it doesn't give you as much control over things right. either. It, yeah. It's it's more opinionated. It yeah. does more things for you, which may or may not be a problem in production. I really don't know because I haven't tried it. I uh, I made my decision though. We um, a fellow came by from I think the Docker. Foundation or something like that, to where he did a Docker beat up one time for the birthday of Docker here. Nice. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And huh. and so it was kind of like he just happened to show up while I'm I'm stumbling through Docker Swarm, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> he's cool. like, oh yeah, that's uh, you should learn Kubernetes. And I was like, <laughs> and uh, you know, I was like, man, I'm just well, kind of trying to figure it out. And he was like, yes, do that with Docker Swarm. Yeah. But as soon as you want yeah. to go production with it, use Kubernetes and like. And that seems to be the where where things have landed. Doesn't yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you you basically got to learn both. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which it can be pretty daunting, honestly. Like yeah. if you have never used containers before, mm-hmm. it's like you're gonna have to first. You're gonna have to learn. Uh, for me, for a long time, the whole uh, like concept of the container was so abstract. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Like, why do I, I need uh, this? I've I've tried to explain to my non-developer friends what Docker is, uh, and 
I only know of one time where I didn't fail uh, <laughs> because like, it's just not easy to, it's not easy to explain to a, a seasoned developer that yeah. hasn't encountered this yet. Yeah. The easiest way I know of to explain it is a Docker image is crystallized Ram. You mm. know, you load everything that you need into memory and then you take a snapshot of it. Yeah. Operationally, that's not what you're doing. You're writing code and, and you're, you're running executables and things happen and then you have yeah. this artifact that you go use that's almost like an executable or almost like a VM Im- yeah. uh, image yeah. or somewhere in between, right? But essentially, it's, it's, the, it's crystallized RAM and, and just the stuff in RAM that you need to run that application, Right. And then they can use the underlying machine's resources. You know, that's that, a very abstract thing, and, and it's yeah. not. You have to use it and see. It's sort of like the proof is in the pudding. You mm-hmm. you learn why Docker and Kubernetes matter after you can write fairly simple code that automatically deploys your entire stack to yeah, the right. cloud yep. after you push a git commit. Right? You don't get yep. that without right. these tools. And I think mean. the other like giant selling point really is like. Do do whatever locally, and if it works locally, you guarantee it's going to work after it's deployed. Like yeah, to me, right, yeah. To me, like when uh, it first started to become uh, popular or whatever, uh, like that was the main selling point. And even then, like it still took me a while because it was, just wasn't mm-hmm. a problem that I had. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah I came here. to the containerization world late. I mean, I'm yeah. very much a convert these days, but yeah. I came to it late. Yep. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Better late than never, though. Oh, yeah. So I don't know that we're going to get to productivity today. To <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. If you want to be more productive, <laughs> you, learn you need Kubernetes. <laughs> higher, higher levels of abstraction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a good pipeline, though, definitely helps uh, improve um, productivity. That's for sure. And uh, sometimes I ponder while, like, circle CIs down, um, like, how spoiled I've become. Right. Though, you know. <laughs> Um, I'm actually the project I'm I'm doing right now. I'm I'm using Elastic Beanstalk, which mm-hmm. which is nice too. And I would say, you know, I've heard if, good things about that. Yeah, if, if if your project isn't you know massive and doing a bunch of microservices and stuff, then I I totally would recommend it. It's great. Um, does the blue green deploy thing? Tell me about Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, so it's. Sort I mean, of, I've heard of it and I yeah. I've read about it at some point, but I don't remember. Have you uh, Have you ever used Heroku? Yeah, so a long it, time ago, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of like that, but for AWS, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's kind of like they give you uh, a dyno, basically. You yeah. Get, you okay. get an EC2 box that's abstracted away from you, uh, kind of. And then, Does it end up costing a lot more? Um, like Heroku? <laughs> no, it, it just, it, they just charge you for the resources. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, so it, you get a load balancer and your app server and RDS. Instance, so you have a database instance. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But uh, sounds too easy. It, it is really easy. <laughs> it's you know, it's just like everything else. It's abstracted away to yeah. the point of YAML. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yet, an, yet another configuration know. file is what you know, it. It's what funny we should too. Name it. It's funny too because it's so useful. YAML's just like taking over the so like DevOps world. Unpopular opinion. I fucking hate YAML. <laughs> It's popular here, Blake. I hate it too. Should, uh, what should we be using instead, Jason? Uh, Jason, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. I mean, it's not that much. It's not that harder. You basically take away all the braces. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like okay. So the uh, uh, white space based 
configuration files are bullshit. I mean, I work in Python. I'm already used to that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you, you, yeah. And we do have an advantage there, but even then, I, I don't particularly like uh, it sometimes. I, I didn't so at much. first. That came from C Sharp. Uh, yeah. to, to Python and it kind of freaked me out at first. Yeah. Nowadays I'm like, oh my god, those braces! I can't see through uh, them all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost like HTML. Sometimes it gets too too deep. Uh, but um, yeah, that, uh, YAML's not not my favorite. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of maybe writing less config, but it's like reading a, a YAML file sometimes is one not of the, real straightforward. One yeah. of the thing I like about uh, you know some of the DevOps tools that'll generate stuff for you is, is sometimes they'll generate both YAML and JSON. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah, right, yeah. I mean the, the JSON of course is much easier for anything automated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that anything if a computer is going to read it, JSON's way better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I output JSON to my terminal sometimes. Yeah, and and if I ever have the choice, I just I would put the config in JavaScript, like even better mm-hmm. from, from my perspective mm-hmm. uh, if it's in the language that you're using. Right, right, yeah. As long as you put quotes around your uh, uh, <laughs> your variable names, or, so yeah. that so that it's actually JSON and not uh. not just JavaScript, I I ran into this problem in a legacy system mm. that was generating JSON, except it wasn't JSON because it didn't have quote names around the variable so, names. So it was so just actual JavaScript, JavaScript objects. Uh, <laughs> JavaScript will totally let you do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It was you can a, import that. It, yeah, it, it was a very fertile field of technical debt. <laughs> Wade my way through. I've even I've even I've developed a new habit uh kind of here lately of like even in Python when I'm doing a dictionary, you know, basically a, a hash, um, I double quote it, which usually I use single quotes for everything. But if it's yeah, gonna yeah, be yeah. outputting JSON, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, use yeah. double quotes That's and right. then it's like yeah. instantly. Then your Python at it, is it JSON, is. right? Yeah. Your Python dictionary is JSON at that yeah. point, which yeah, is exactly. Nice. Yeah. So they're in parity, yeah. That's uh that's just been a habit that I've kind of yeah. been trying out. Uh, we'll see if it sticks. How does that? So, how does Python handle the having single and double quotes? Can you are they interchangeable? They're interchangeable. Okay, yeah, cool. uh, single, double, triple. Which is okay. really confusing when you start writing a Bash script after you've been playing in Python all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah Re- Rest also has specific meanings for the yeah. different characters. So. Gotcha. Well, well, that uh, was productive. Yeah, that was. It was a what a productive podcast. Uh, so yeah, this has uh, been kind of our Kubernetes part two. Um, so there's probably going to be like three, four, three, five, four, five, six. six yeah, yeah. 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 It's not going I'm sure, anywhere. it'll continue to. Yeah, absolutely. We should we should meet up again like in, a, in another <laughs> month and see. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Friday Afternoon Deploy, recorded and produced by the team at Lofty Labs. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to future episodes via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also follow at Friday Deploy on Facebook and Twitter for episode previews, live streams, and other behind-the-scenes peaks. Past episodes and show notes on this episode can be found at friday.hirelofty.com. That's friday.h-i-r-e-l-o-f-t-y.com. If you'd like to contact the show, or if you're local to the Northwest Arkansas area and would like to be a guest on the show, 
you can email us at podcast at higherlofty.com.